What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 at The Home Depot. How doers get more done. When you have health insurance, it's easy to forget about your out-of-pocket costs. That can be a lot of money. But are your bills accurate? It's estimated over 50% of medical bills contain errors. HealthLock can help. HealthLock technology securely connects with your insurance and flags any overbilling, wrong codes, and fraud. You can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills. To date, HealthLock has helped its members save over $130 million. To save, visit HealthLock.com today. Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places. Welcome to Forward Thinking. Hey there, everyone, and welcome to Forward Thinking, the podcast that looks at the future and says, she blinded me with science. I'm Jonathan Strickland. I'm Lauren Volkelbaum. And I'm Joe McCormick. And that slow, condescending shake of the head from Lauren means it's once again time to dive into a discussion about the future and invention and science and technology. And uh, this this week we're actually talking about kind of an, uh, the spirit of invention and innovation. Well, we were c- kind of tying it into our buddies over at Maker Faire. And we thought, wouldn't it be fun to sort of talk about some of the some of the, the the crazy inventors of the past who have come up with really creative inventions. Uh, m- many of these people are ones who worked on inventions on their own and either uh, experienced amazing success or we've enjoyed their inventions, though they did not reap too many benefits from them at the time. Um, but we do. You, you make a point, Joe, in that in that episode that. The not all inventions come from like the crazy guy working in a garage somewhere. A lot of them come oh. from massive R and D departments. I mean, if we want to get real, it's not as fun to say, but it is true that most of the biggest inventions come from well-funded labs and R and D departments. Right, which but, is because it's easier to make a living when you're making a living. Yeah, um, obviously. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah when, mm-hmm. when you've got the money, where you've got endless resources at your disposal to to invent, it makes it a little bit easier to keep going down different roads. But but one of the points I wanted to make in the video is that um, separating these two things is kind of an artificial distinction, saying, oh, well, on one hand, you have these big, well-funded invention projects, and on the other hand, you got the little tinkerer. I mean, these are two ways of operating that feed into each other. They're, they're both part of the inventing spirit. Right. And, and lots of these gr- inventors who you know worked for big companies were probably also 
hobbyists. And, oh yeah, many of them and makers on their own. Many of them were were very much makers on their own, and that's kind of how they ended up being where they how they got those jobs. Yeah, sure. So uh, we wanted to kind of look back at some of the kind of the godfathers of invention in a way, and uh, and one of the first ones we had was. Um, a fellow who, whose inventions may or may not have ever happened. There's a lot of stories <laughs> about his inventions that could be completely apocryphal, and that is Archimedes. Archimedes. Some of his inventions are more well-attested than others, I think. Right. But uh, he's mainly known, actually, for his proofs, right? Like uh, yes. stuff about physics and mathematics, calculating volume, density, uh, hydrostatics, so like how, how you... No, well, is this really made of pure gold or something? Right, know? right. The but, the whole idea of uh, displacement yeah, and things of that nature. Yeah, yeah, that you could figure out if something was uh, pure gold if it displaced the correct amount of water. Right. But he's also remembered for all these strange inventions. Um, one of them, of course, is the uh, is the screw, right? Right. The, the yeah. water-lifting screw. And this is a pretty cool idea for the ancient world. I don't, I don't know how they figured this out. But. Well, yeah, it's kind of neat. It's uh, So imagine that you have a an area of water that's slightly lower than where you would like the water to go. So, you mm. know, when you're trying to irrigate a large part of... Uh, of uh, uh, landscape to make it farmland, this is obviously something that you, you know, if, if the biggest source of water is further down, like downhill, how do you get that to come uphill? You, you know, could just dig a really deep trench. You could, but that's not necessarily easy or safe to do. So mm-hmm. what Archimedes discovered was that by creating essentially what, think, imagine a rod uh, angled down so that the bottom of the rod is underneath the water and wrapped around this rod is essentially what amounts to be a straw or a hose. And by turning this, you can actually scoop water into that hose. And because of the way that the, uh, the hose curls, you keep on changing what the lowest point of that curl is and you urge the you water force up. the water upwards. Yeah. yeah. So it's essentially a pump yeah. in a way. Well, the, the angle the screw meets the water creates a, a little sort of moving bucket. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's difficult to envision unless you actually have a picture in front of you. But that, and this is something that's attributed to Archimedes. And, uh, as far as we know, that is in fact the origin of this particular invention. But even <laughs> this is one of those that's a little under contention. Well, one of the, uh, the big ones that everybody always remembers is the death ray. Yeah. The Martian is, <laughs> heat ray. The one that, uh, was tested on Mythbusters actually, where. Uh, multiple times actually. Yeah. And this was. Well, people the, are passionate about it. We really want a death ray. And so we're yeah. kind of upset when it doesn't work. Well, I, it's. I don't want a be, death ray. No, but this is, this is actually the, the romantic, uh, inventor concept that we were just talking about because we have death rays i mean we have really really good death rays Uh that we can make with modern technology but people are still they're so attached to this idea that archimedes made a death ray so so here's the story um archimedes say wants to defend a greek city against attackers well how do you do it um what if you were to get a whole bunch of mirrors and polish them up. And of course, in, in Archimedes' time, they didn't have really good polished mirrors like we have now. So it would have to be like a highly polished copper or bronze or something. Right. And you lined a bunch of those up so that they all catch the sun's rays and you angle them toward a central point to so heat, that they it, focus heat on it. it up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You're um, creating a focal point so that whatever the target is will get heated up very, very rapidly. And this is actually, it's not a bogus idea. In fact, this is how we create solar thermal power, isn't it? Yeah. Like you, I mean, you just focus mirrors on something to collect the heat and turn that into usable energy. In right. this case, the usable energy would be death. Yeah. Um. <laughs> well, the, 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 in this case, the usable energy is heat, and the heat converts things what are to made death. of wood into fire. Yeah. <laughs> like, converts know. to death. Um, um, yeah, so. it, it, now, the various tests that have been done on this have shown that it's it's a feasible uh, object, but it may not actually work in any kind of practical use. Like yeah. you could, right. you they could had set to stuff tweak on fire it pretty hard. In order yeah, to you might have to wait go. a while. Yeah, I, yeah, I uh, I read about some mixed results. Like some yeah. experiments were like, yeah, this this would work pretty good, and but of course, when MythBusters did it, it got busted twice. 
Yeah. Uh, yeah. They just couldn't they couldn't make it work in any reasonable amount of time. It was like they had to sit there for a long right. time. Right. You would essentially have to with yeah. right. Yeah. You'd have to ask ask the uh, Roman forces if they wouldn't mind waiting just a little while longer before they actually g- disembark from their ships and, and yeah. invade your city. And oh no, ask, a cloud, yeah. you know. <laughs> <laughs> right. We got to start over. Uh, and of course, there's just the fact that it would probably be way easier to just go and light the ship on fire or shoot it with a flaming arrow or something. Right. Yeah. Right. But I mean, the idea of a a device that could uh, inflict huge amounts of damage without any visible sign of mm-hmm. projectile was something that could easily frighten your enemies. Oh yeah. And well, it'd I mean, be terrifying. There were, you know, the. the a reason why Archimedes came up with some, or at least why we attribute these ideas to Archimedes and the, whether or not they ever actually came from him or that's a matter of debate. But the reason why all of these were coming from this guy, this, this brilliant inventor, is because he was in Syracuse, which was mm-hmm. under siege for like two years by Roman forces. Yeah. And uh, another one of his supposed inventions was a giant arm that could oh, yeah, crush or knock out. Yeah. The, the idea being that you would be able to uh, destroy incoming ships or foul them in some way so that uh, a, a, a besieging force would be toppled. At least the, the naval part of it would be toppled. And the- these... These these are things that repeat throughout history. I mean, it's it's we we've we've got the Maker Fair here in 2013, a giant robot arm yeah. that mm-hmm. crushes stuff, and <laughs> and you know, and everyone is always talking about uh, a Tesla's hypothetical death, death ray. ray. Yeah. And sorry though, Joe, you were going to say something. Oh no, well, I was just going to say it's funny how with the arm, there's this great diversity of how people have envisioned it. I found some site on the internet that just had this huge list of different illustrations of the arm, and they all look completely different. Like. Mm-hmm. Well, one looks like a literal arm. It's like a big metal hand that's slapping down on the ship somehow. I, right. I don't know how that would work. The other ones that seem more feasible is that it's um, it's using a, a big sort of uh, grappling hook. Like it shoots over the ship and then you can pull it using the leverage uh, of this big lever back at the joint. Sounds slightly more useful maybe yeah. than just... Um, but who knows? You well, know, he certainly worked on things like block and tackle systems, mm-hmm. stuff that made it a lot easier to move very large, heavy loads by with this just a few people. Early simple machines, that, right. right? Yeah, and he was famous for his discussions about the lever and the applications of a lever. And you know, of course, he, there's the saying that's attributed to him. You know, uh, find me the right place to stand, and I can move the world. You know, mm-hmm. that kind of idea. Um, and also, you know, there are other. Uh, inventions that are attributed to him. His death, of course, completely tragic. That was the story that the invading Romans were sacking Syracuse and that the Roman soldiers had been given the, uh, the order not to hurt Archimedes because he was considered to be too precious. Yeah. Right. And yet, the, the um, Werner von Braun. <laughs> but but a soldier killed him. And yeah. uh, there are different reports on what happened. Like some people say that what happened was the soldier commanded Archimedes to come to meet with the general and Archimedes refused. And the soldier got upset and then put a sword through Archimedes. And then there are other ones that said that Archimedes was carrying some uh, equipment that he used in his experiments and the soldier thought that they were valuables. And so he killed Archimedes to loot his body. At any rate, Archimedes was a uh, a casualty of war. Mm-hmm. And so uh, the big inventions he had suggested weren't actually built, but that's one of those early examples of someone who was really creative and uh, c- came up with some very uh, out-of-the-box ways <laughs> of of inflicting huge amounts of damage. Um, the next one I have on my list is similar to that uh, in that he took many commissions for instruments of war, even though he himself was not someone who was particularly warlike, and that's uh, Leonardo da Vinci. Hmm. So uh, good old Leo uh, came up with lots of different ideas. He he did also improve over uh, previous ideas, things that had already been invented, like ball bearings. That was one of those things that had been around since Roman times, but Leonardo kind of showed new applications for ball bearings for for devices that needed to be able to turn freely without too much friction mm-hmm. and um, and began to show some of the first uh, really practical uses for ball bearings. Da Vinci invented a – or not invented but designed a tank, didn't he? It looks he like did. a flying saucer. Had a, yeah, it looks kind of like a flying saucer. It had 36 guns uh, yeah. in the design 
And uh, what's interesting about that tank is if you really take a close look at the drawings, uh, it was supposed to move based on a big series of gears, and you would you know turn these gears, and that would make the wheels turn. But if you really pay attention to the way the gears are laid out in the drawing, it would never move because the front wheels would be turning one way while the back wheels would be turning the other way. So you would What he needed in there was a transmission. <laughs> you need to have some sort of differential. Uh-huh. But what 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 some people suggest is that Da Vinci was a pretty smart guy and that maybe Maybe you know, it could have been a mistake, but it's also possible that maybe he put it in there on purpose because he one didn't want anything to ever really no one he didn't want anyone he to didn't really want that build to be it. Oh. Yeah. And two hmm. and two he thought that or two maybe that he wanted to do this in case it ever fell into the wrong hands, whoever did get a hold of it would not be able to make a working tank because if they followed the instructions in the in the drawings, they would have an immobile structure. So it would be more like a hut. With a whole bunch of guns in it. Um, that's not <laughs> I guess in the Renaissance period, a tank was kind of like a nuclear bomb. Well, like, you'd well, just be he crazy. definitely he definitely came up with other ideas that were equally terrifying in this. And and part of that was these were inventions that were never actually built. Uh, mm-hmm. And and maybe it was just that you knew that Da Vinci had designed this thing, and that would give you second thoughts before you. Uh, tried to muscle in on one of Da Vinci's patrons. You know, mm-hmm. this is a guy who received patronage from various very wealthy people. And so one of the inventions was a 33-barreled gun. And so imagine <laughs> imagine a triangle, all right? So you got a triangle and you got it mounted on a tripod and across each edge of the triangle you have 11 guns. Now the idea was that you would be able to fire those 11 guns along the top edge and then you would rotate it once one click. Now, when it's rotated, the, those 11 guns start to cool, and then you can fire the next 11 guns. So now you've fired off 22. You rotate it. Now that second set of guns is starting to cool while you start to load the first set of guns, and you can still fire the third set. So the idea is that you are constantly cooling and reloading these guns while firing off the top level of guns. So it's kind of like a very primitive version of a machine gun. Mm-hmm. Uh, although it's all still, you know, manually reloaded and, you know, it's not that you would fire all 11 simultaneously, but it would allow you to fire them in quick succession. Right, right. And, you know, in comparison to the to the muskets of the day. Right, that... where you would fire and then three minutes later you'd be able to fire again. I mean, if you were really, really good, you could probably fire, I think it's, it might be as frequently as three times in a minute if you were really, really good. But otherwise it was just like Boondock Saints style of just, you know, like drop the guns, pull out more, drop <laughs> right, the guns, right. pull out more kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. like why reload? I have more guns. <laughs> uh, yeah, and then he, he had other inventions that were never built, things like the aerial screw. So, you know, Archimedes figured out how to use a uh, a screw to, to pull water out of a low area into a higher area. Uh, da Vinci was looking at using the screw shape to try and generate lift. So this is sort of a precursor to the helicopter. And the idea would be if you could turn this screw fast enough, you might be able to generate enough lift to get off the ground. He, he also tried to design ornithopters, didn't he? Yep, which uh kind of a... a precursor to airplanes or gliders flapping wings yeah flapping wings and the wings were more were designed more after the uh the wings of a bird mm-hmm. um right yeah not not stiff enough to actually create the lift that we would need to yeah it, it, but none of them would have really generated enough lift for anyone to uh to get off the ground or survive a great fall if that's how you wanted to start uh he also but he did invent parachutes which would have worked um they again were not built but they would have worked had they been built. People have built parachutes based upon his designs and shown that they would have uh, slowed a descent so that you would be able to, uh, in his words, throw yourself down from a, any great height without suffering injury. Although without suffering injury part may not be completely valid, but you wouldn't. <laughs> you probably wouldn't die. Um, so right but, there, yeah. But you know, Da Vinci Broken bones in that day were not a good, not a good plan. <laughs> no, you might yeah. die later. Yeah. Um, or you, or you might just find yourself a couple of legs short, um, significantly shorter than the Da Vinci. Though was you know truly the Renaissance man, right? I mean, that's the guy we think of when we think of the Renaissance. Is this here's this guy who was an artist and a scientist mm-hmm. and an inventor. He had uh, sort of the leading one of the leading thinkers of the day. Uh, and then 
Lauren, you have some information about another person who, uh, just a, a few decades after Da Vinci, well, more like a century after Da Vinci, was uh, really taking that role. Yeah, uh, Sir Isaac Newton, you might have heard of him. Um, he built the first reflecting telescope. I believe that another fellow had uh, created a design for it earlier, but he was the first person who actually put it into practice um, and uh, was also just doing some of the most important mathematical stuff, you know, uh, really building the Western foundation for calculus and um, doing important work with, with gravity and light and uh Things and stuff. Yeah, he, <laughs> he he designed this um this so-called orbital cannon, which was basically a thought experiment to explain how uh, how we could put an object in orbit of the Earth. Oh, uh, okay. And you know, which 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 in what was that? The the late 1600s yeah. was pretty cool. I mean, right. you know, and the the design involved putting a cannon on top of a mountain so high that it was in space, so it was not really feasible. Right. But as a thought experiment, it was really cool. Um, yeah, this whole idea of that you're falling at the same rate that the Earth is turning, so therefore you're just constantly in that same position relative to the Earth. I mean, that's the the basis of orbit, which is that's a pretty, pretty forward-thinking pretty idea at the time. <laughs> yes, yeah. Um, he, uh, he also... According according to some sources, uh, was was a great animal lover, and although you know he never really had um, any any deep friendships or, or deep romantic relationships, that he had a lot of cats and dogs kind of running around in his life. And uh, supposedly at Cambridge, um, he created the first cat door to to let so so that cats <laughs> would stop scratching at the door and interrupting his his so, calculus. I think uh, I think we can all blame Newton for all the cat videos that are on the internet. <laughs> I think I think that if you were to trace it all back. There's some there. some contention about that. Maybe one, but. <laughs> maybe you could argue ancient Egypt, but no. <laughs> um, also, one of one of uh, Newton's contemporaries, Robert Hooke, is occasionally referred to as the British Da Vinci. Uh, he he was he was you know again living in the 16 to 1700s and um, created what was also working with with light and gravity in conceptual ways and uh, created just a lot of really pervasive. Simple machines. The um, he, he was the one Hooke's law. Uh, the that the extension of a spring is proportional to the weight hanging from it mm. is named after Robert Hooke. Also, uh, Hooke's joint or the universal joint, which is a way of connecting two immobile rods in a way that lets them uh, create rotational force gotcha. around each other. Also, compound microscopes, kind of an important thing. He was doing a lot of uh, research into biology. He was the one who coined the term cell in terms of like a, a unit of biology, mm. um, uh, which he was a he was a uh, connected to the Catholic Church. And they these these he was examining cork under a microscope under a microscope and the walls of the cork reminded him of monastery cells. Oh. So supposedly uh, that's where that comes from. Well, uh, it, moving forward just a bit, we get up to, uh, to, uh, an American, Benjamin Franklin, known <laughs> for his, uh, inventiveness. He, he invented lightning, right? <laughs> you, you gotta go st- stand in the corner for the rest of the episode. Uh, known that's for, what they known taught for, me in school. Wow. That was that's Thor, a, duh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to sit over here. I'll sit in the corner. You guys take over. Now, Benjamin Franklin, uh, who invented many things, he's also known for, you know, his, his uh, diplomatic missions over to Europe. He's known as one of the founding fathers of the United States. One of the things Benjamin Franklin, well, he didn't invent it, but he did improve upon it, was the odometer. Odometers have been around for quite some time, but he created a really practical, precise one. And uh, the reason he made one was because he was working with the Postal Service at the time. This is before the revolution, so he's technically working for the British authorities at this point. And uh, they were having trouble figuring out how to get mail from various cities and in a way that was efficient and well, made sense. Wasn't Franklin the first postmaster general? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 You know, we think about him when we talk about the post office as well. But he – so what he did was he actually designed this odometer. It was a set of gears that would fit on – uh, against the rear wheel of his horse-drawn carriage. And he took the carriage between cities, and every 400 revolutions of the wheel uh, would be equivalent to a mile, or 1.6 kilometers. And uh, and it turned out to be 
pretty pretty accurate. And so he was able to measure the distance between the different cities and with those measurements start to help plan out more efficient routes so that uh, so that mail carrying even made sense in a place as spread out as the United States. And so that was a pretty cool early invention. He's also known, of course, for the invention of the Franklin stove. Mm-hmm. Um, he was working in Philadelphia at the time, which, if you are unaware, during winter can get a bit chilly. And uh, fireplaces are not terribly efficient at generating heat in a way that is useful for us. A lot of that heat just goes straight up the chimney. So you're losing a lot of the energy that you are trying to generate, which meant that you were going through a lot more fuel for uh, a lot less heat. Wouldn't so, it be great if you could just like heat up something thick in your right, house? Which is exactly what he did. He came up with this idea of the Franklin stove, which was uh, much more efficient at distributing heat and at, uh, at preserving fuel. So you didn't have to you know, start ranging even further out from Philadelphia in order to gather the fuel you needed to stay warm. And then um, he also, of course, was famous for inventing bifocals. He had trouble both with nearsightedness and farsightedness toward the uh, latter part of his life. And so he essentially took glasses for farsightedness and glasses for nearsightedness, cut the lenses, and then put them together. And uh, and that was the basic design for bifocals for, for decades. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it was one of those things where out of necessity, he yeah. invented. So now – the next person I have on my list is another American, someone who uh, – the, the only U.S. president to ever have received a patent. And that, of course, is uh, Abraham Lincoln. He received a patent for a, uh, a method of helping ships navigate shallow waters or, uh, or things that are like in a river that a boat would need to get over or around. And uh, so it really was a design to try and prevent ships from – or boats from uh, – grounding or or getting stranded and um his invention was pretty pretty uh clever it was a series of waterproof bladders that could be inflated so what you would do is inflate the bladders and create more clearance between the bottom of the boat and whatever push off yeah yeah Yeah, like like if if the river gets pretty shallow you inflate these you raise the level of the 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 ships the bottom of the ship or bottom of the boat i shouldn't say ship i should just say boat because we're talking rivers here um, and it would give enough clearance so that you could get through these shallow parts without the the boat just uh, grounding. But that's interesting. You know, the the only president who holds a patent uh, so far, anyway. And um, he was known as kind of a tinkerer and an inventor beyond just this. But this was the only patent he was ever awarded. And then we've got uh, three people who are kind of. All big, tied up in one another. Yeah, big names. Uh, they were all involved in mm-hmm. in some pretty well known uh, uh, competitions and in a rivalries. Way. Yeah. Uh, rivalries. All electric personalities. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I no. want to start with George Westinghouse because out of the three, he's probably the one that people know the least about uh, from a general perspective. Like you know, everyone's they've probably heard of Westinghouse. Right. Like. They've heard of Westinghouse, but they probably have seen comic strips about Edison and Tesla. <laughs> Thank you, Oatmeal. But uh, Westinghouse, people don't know as much about him, I think, in general. So he was the son of a machine shop owner, and he actually served time in both the Army and the Navy during the Civil War. Uh, he returned home after the Civil War to enroll in Union College, which he would subsequently drop out of. Uh, and then he started using his practical experience of working with his father in the machine shop to start inventing things. Over his lifetime, he held over 300 patents, more than 300 patents, I should say, not over. And uh, one of his inventions, I thought this was pretty interesting, was a gas shock absorber for cars. So in the early days of cars, back in like 1910, mm-hmm. Uh, one of the problems that you had with those early cars was that if you were to go over a bumpy road, and back then almost all roads were bumpy, uh, it was a jarring experience. I mean, it, if you've ever been in a car with really bad shocks or in, on any other kind of vehicle that doesn't have any sort of shock system, then you, you know, you feel every single one of those bumps. Uh, like being on a wooden roller coaster or something. Yeah, yeah, something, something that, you know, has just got a lot of bumps to it where it's just not a very comfortable ride. And so a lot of the uh, shock systems that were around back then all were dependent upon metal springs. Uh, so you get a bit of a bouncy ride and it was kind of 
jostling. It wasn't necessarily uh, comfortable. Yeah. yeah. He used compressed air. He used gas shock absorbers or air shock absorbers that were uh, designed to kind of um, to, to cushion you on this. So it, and it was a system that a lot of luxury cars use now. I mean, they essentially use an updated version of that same invention. It's, you know, obviously a more uh, sophisticated implementation now than it was back in Westinghouse's time. But it's the same principle. And he also invented air brakes for trains. Uh, One of the problems that trains had in those early days is that the brake systems were not... uh, were not accessible by the conductor, the the engineer. Oh. They they actually had brakemen who worked on the train, and so the engineer had to give signals to the brakemen for the train to brake. And sometimes these signals would get lost, which means that you could have a massive horrible accident. So or the, just go past the station, you know. <laughs> right? Past the in best case scenario, you yeah. miss your stop. Worst case scenario, you just hit another train, hit or another train, or or something or else. That's funny. When I think back on. You know, trains, it seems like you always see them in movies, no matter how far back you hear that pneumatic brake sound, yeah. the hissing and the popping. But mm-hmm. you're saying that that That's, came along that later. Was, that was Westinghouse who, okay. who created the late, actual... Late 1800s? Uh, mm-hmm. Early 1900s, early yeah. He was, mm-hmm. it, was, it was an idea that involved using the compressed air so that the conductor, the the, mm-hmm. the, the person in the actual uh, engine could use. So it's not that they weren't ever using compressed air before. It was that okay. they didn't have a brake system that was accessible from the engine before. All right. The the brakes were elsewhere on the train. So uh, that ended up making him quite a bit of money. He also invented a valve that was useful to reduce the pressure in uh, natural gas lines so that someone could actually have natural gas in their home because the you know they could tap into a well – and they could get natural gas, but they had to pressurize it so that they could move it through distribution pipes. Well, the problem was that if you tried to have your natural gas come out of your distribution pipe into your home at that pressure, it would be way too high for you to operate it in any kind of safe way. <laughs> so the heat created a valve that would reduce that pressure so that you would get it at a controlled rate and not just turn your oven into a flamethrower. Um <laughs> But you can see that all of these inventions are kind of wrapped up together in things like air pressure, compressed air, valves, things like that. And through that, he was able to build the Westinghouse Corporation, which branched out into all forms of invention. Uh, one of the inventors that uh, Westinghouse, for him. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, Westinghouse hired a, uh, a guy by the name of Nikola Tesla. Uh, Tesla also for a while had worked for the Edison company. He worked for the Edison company while he was still in Europe. And so it was not part of the company that was, I mean, ultimately they answered to Edison, but Edison, sure, sure. He, did, he didn't work for Edison himself until he came over to America a little bit later. Yeah. Um, and, and then had, he had a falling out and then went to work for Westinghouse. Westinghouse for a while. Yeah. And so a lot of people credit Tesla as the guy who, quote unquote, invented alternating current, which is not true. No. Alternating current existed before Tesla was even going to school. Uh, it existed mostly in Europe. It wasn't really being used widely at all. And it wasn't being used in the United States. But uh, it did exist before he came over. He did, however, create lots of improvements that made it practical. It wasn't practical before, and he would, a lot of the work he did made the, it practical. The, the turbines that he was working with were, yeah. Yeah, the turbines, uh, his improvements to things. Westinghouse's company was the, one, uh, the company that was in charge of making uh, transformers. And right. uh, some, of Nestle, uh, some of Nestle's, some of Tesla's work, <laughs> boy, it's warm in here. Some of Tesla's work uh, is went into... Uh, improving transformers as well. So Tesla was known as an inventor. He was known for making some stuff that, again, kind of like Archimedes, may oh, be well, pretty apocryphal. Apocryphal invention. Uh, what he the uh, earthquake machine. Earthquake machine. That's that would be I was a big one. Of. Death ray that Lauren mentioned. Mm-hmm, the, the, the death ray in his in his case was supposed to be some sort of ray that would make aircraft drop out of the sky. Uh, and that his idea was that if you were to create such a thing, you would end all war. Because no one, <laughs> no one would want, no one would ever brave the mm-hmm. the uh, the death ray because it would mean that they would lose immediately. You know, it's that whole idea that if you just create a weapon strong enough, you end war because no one would be crazy enough to engage <laughs> to in engage war, in it? Yeah. which we've disproven multiple <laughs> times throughout our history. But um, he was also there's also the legend about him creating the the broadcast 
towers that could broadcast electrical power oh, wireless electricity. over over mm-hmm. miles and miles. Uh, there's no really there's no great proof that that ever worked. There's well, there are accounts, but the accounts could are not necessarily reliable. And I I do want to make it clear that wireless electricity is a thing. Yeah, oh, but sure. we're talking about. I think a lot of people don't even realize that that you actually can harvest ambient wireless electricity, but it's uh, you're talking about scale. Yeah, can you get enough of it well, to and, really make not enough to and power Tesla, a city? And from Tesla's it. version was using a a tower and then turning it on and essentially lighting up light bulbs that were 20 miles away. Mm, That's yeah. different than either using some sort of of magnetic uh, resonance so that you can create a wireless power transfer or using an antenna to uh, to gather in radio waves and create electricity that way, which, by the way, you can do. It's just not efficient at all. You don't mm-hmm. get enough juice there to really do anything useful. Mm-hmm. You'd have to have an enormous antenna, and even then, by, th- by the time you get to that, you're talking about pouring in more energy into building the antenna than you would ever get from harvesting radio waves. Well, I did see something about some cool... I can't remember the kid's name now because it was a while back, but he was some young guy who'd come up with uh, an invention that uh, it, it would harvest ambient radiation from electrical towers so you just go stand by a, a, an electrical line and, and huh. turn this thing on and it would i mean still it wouldn't get that much but, but yeah at least then it, what you're talking about is maybe a system that waste. could recapture wasted energy exactly. yeah yeah in which case you're talking about improving efficiencies over uh uh you know established systems there's nothing wrong with that that's mm-hmm. a fantastic invention you know it means that we end up getting more for what we're you know what we're putting into it it does not mean that we're you know suddenly tapping into uh, free energy or anything like that, but it's still important. Um, well, even Tesla's towers wouldn't be free, would they? No, just no. The idea, but the idea was that it would. Uh, like the the conspiracy theorists all say that the reason why these don't exist is because power companies don't want that information to ever get out because it would uh-huh. mean that they yeah. would no longer have because how ways would you, to meter <laughs> that yeah how would you meter it like if what, you're just what? broadcasting <laughs> electricity then you don't know who's using what and you can't charge people you could charge a flat fee for everybody but that's all you could do uh, i can believe that power companies would definitely be against this but i don't buy the conspiracy oh sure no, there's no. There, there's also you know there was that brief period of time after he passed away that uh that his notes kind of sort of disappeared yeah. um in well, the hands of the u.s government yeah the, um, the u.s government ended but, up uh essentially commandeering his notes uh partially because they didn't want it to fall into other other governments hands mm-hmm. um so mm-hmm. there was there was a definitely a conspiracy theory there for a while that the US government was trying to 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 keep it quiet like the death ray and all this kind of stuff <laughs> but in it, it may very well be more along the lines of they just didn't want some other uh, nation to get hold of this and then take advantage of it and uh and set the United States back uh the papers were eventually released so they were not held forever um Beyond that, we then have Edison, right? Thomas Edison. Uh, he he actually did invent quite a few things, yeah. although many of the things that are attributed to, to him, Edison, yeah, were he was, invented he was more out of, of a, he, he was more of a businessman, honestly, than an inventor. Not that he wasn't a terrific inventor, but he he's I I think to some extent I think it's a little unfairly vilified. Oh, absolutely. Well, okay, yeah. So so Tesla on the internet gets lionized. Yeah. Edison gets demonized. Yeah. So I mean it like I said in the oatmeal comic strip, it's very which is a funny little comic strip and Oh it's, yeah, yeah. Oh sure. And I don't mean to say little either. It's a funny comic strip. <laughs> I don't mean to I'm not trying to uh to belittle it, but uh, no, it, and, it and, oversimplifies and, and, the relationship between Tesla and Edison and their contributions. It does. And and the author has come out and said that yes, it oversimplifies it and I was I was making a comic that is the funny, and right. so therefore, you know, please yeah, don't take it that seriously. It's not meant to be an encyclopedia entry. Mm-hmm. For some sure. reason, though, this meme really latched on oh, the absolutely. thing about Tesla. Well, well and people had been and crazy about Tesla for a while, but yeah. the oatmeal comic strip kind of put it into it put it into a framework that people really. Uh, identified yeah, with. Yeah, and, and you combine that on top of like David Bowie's performance and the prestige and stuff like that. Well, it and, just turns <laughs> into a but it's just a great yeah. story. You know, you've got. Oh, like, yeah, the, where, where Edison's like this mob boss. He's got goons that come in and hey, chop Hey, spoiler up alert. Some of us haven't seen it yet. So anyway, uh, uh, so anyway, what I was going to say though is that it is a great story in that you have the idealistic inventor who is. Uh, the mad genius. And he's mm-hmm. downtrodden because the corporations are the ones that keep pulling the rug out from underneath 
them. The actual story is way more complex than that. And anyway, going back to Edison and talking about what he actually did invent, he did invent uh, lots of telegraph Im- improvements. In fact, one of his earliest jobs was working for a telegraph company. Um, the story I heard was that he rescued a young man from certain death and the young man's father ended up employing Edison in his telegraph company. And then Edison eventually, in one of his wacky experiments, because he did like to experiment with stuff, accidentally uh, spilled some uh, acid in uh, his workroom, which was directly over his boss's office. And the acid leaked down and ended up uh, burning holes and papers on the boss's desk and he was subsequently let go <laughs> but that he he did create some improvements to telegraph operation and then uh his first major invention was an improved stock ticker which he sold to the gold and stock telegraph company for the princely sum of forty thousand dollars which back in those days was quite a bit of cash still not not a bad Hall, but it was a lot back then. Uh, he used that money to help create his first R&D facility. Uh, and then eventually he ended up selling other inventions and moved that facility to Menlo Park, which is the famous one that mm-hmm. everyone associates with Edison. The wizard. Though, yeah, he was the wizard of Menlo Park. And uh, the other big invention, the one that got him lots of fame was the, the phonograph. That was – and that – uh, that seems to be Edison's invention. It wasn't that you know he had. He didn't a, have a team working on that. That was right. more or less him. Yeah. Now in Menlo Park, he did end up getting a team of engineers and and technicians together, and you know he would direct the the company. But a lot of the actual work in inventing, testing, uh, discarding ideas, trying new ideas fell to his team. So while. Edison was quite the inventor. Many of the things, including things like the incandescent light bulb, were really the products of lots of people working together. Mm -hmm. That's true. But to be fair, a lot of the people we think of as uh, discoverers, inventors are project managers. You know, that's true. People who were in charge of groups of people who were doing the hands on work. Well, especially the Um, later you get and the more complex the technology is, the more important it becomes to have that team of people because it's getting increasingly complex for a single person person to do one of these things uh, also we just have better records as we as we move up through history and that's you know, true too i mean yeah. it's, it's, <laughs> it's I, harder I, I, to I think steal it's... all the credit <laughs> right right <laughs> right um, like uh, you know, this brilliant guy who comes up with these amazing ideas is fantastic thank goodness he hasn't learned to read or write yet <laughs> <laughs> um the impression i get when i look at edison is like the name of the game was volume so right. he is responsible for tons Especially and tons for the phonograph because of uh, ha, ha. also he had hearing <laughs> loss so it would have been important <laughs> no i just mean uh he had tons and tons of inventions yeah and so lots were great and then there are all these things that you'd look at and be like huh there are these great the, wacky uh, ones yeah the, uh, the one i saw the other day just the other day online was something about edison's patent for the single poor concrete house yeah mm-hmm. he was big on concrete he uh, he had a, a single poor concrete house he was big on concrete furniture um other patents that he held included a a, a pneumatic stencil pen which is basically a tattoo machine um, oh nice uh i've old, made use of those <laughs> an electric power meter uh which worked off of uh, zinc cells mm. um and uh, that that would have to be changed out by by the meter reader um an electrographic vote recorder uh, that that could have you know sent a basic on-off signal to uh, to record mm. votes like for example from the lobby of Congress or something like that. Right. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Not like uh, not one of those uh, diebold voting machines. No, no, no. I like that. <laughs> we could do a whole show about that. <laughs> uh, but moving moving on from our great triumvirate of Tesla, Westinghouse, and Edison, uh, the next name I have is uh, Philo Farnsworth. Which is, this is funny because it's, we're talking about television here and electronic television. Now, a lot of different people were working on the idea of television at this time. And this time being like in the, the early 20th century. A lot of different people from all over the world were working on this. And, uh, and Farnsworth was developing ideas, uh, that other people had kind of started and then he was picking up and carrying on. Uh, it's interesting. You know, he was 15 years old when he first uh, thought of using a, a lens to focus an image through a tube onto a section of photoelectric cells. That was back in 1922. Uh, and then he eventually would file a patent for 
the idea he came up with in 1927. Now, he wasn't the only person to come up with a, an idea of this nature that would eventually lead to the way we think of television today. Because, like I said, there were other inventors who had come up with ideas for television, including some mechanical sets that weren't using uh, electronics. They were using other means to try and bring a picture to uh, a screen. So he was given the credit of being the inventor of television, uh, but there are a lot of people who point out there are many other names that you could mention when you come to television in general. Uh, and this this kind of illustrates how complex this is. Same sort of thing is true when you get to the discussion of who invented the radio. Uh, there's it. It's far more complex than just saying it's Marconi it's this one or person. Tesla. Sure. The Mamba. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Don't you remember? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the the point being that that Farnsworth, while we mention him as the inventor of television, it's the truth is it's far more complex. The, there was like one common part he was most directly responsible for, right? It was like the image disperser it was or something. A, it was an anode finger that was uh it was a all right magnetic coils that would move an anode finger with a scanning aperture over an image that's okay. the specific patent yeah. uh and he also you know he, you would have thought that the guy who invents tv especially with how important tv is that he would have you know made a million billion dollars from it but uh it didn't work out that way because what happened was he gets the invention just as electronic TVs are starting to get some traction, the United States goes into World War II. As a result, almost all broadcasts halt. So just as television is about to get started, TV broadcasts essentially stop. There were a few markets where they continued, but as a nation, it kind of ended. So suddenly he didn't have any money coming in from licensing. By the time World War II ends, his patent had entered into public domain. So no one had to pay him licenses because now it's public domain information. Patents don't last forever. Sure. So uh, They do last longer now than they used to, right? uh, I think it's the same amount of time, actually. So Because remember, it was 1927 was when he filed for the patent. And, you know, we're talking 1946, really, at the end of the Yeah, I I think there's there's, there's more copyright. You're thinking copyright, which Mm -hmm. has changed dramatically. But patents have been pretty much the same. The, um, the, The interesting thing to me is that he got so disillusioned by how this turned out that he, according to his wife, would not even allow the use of the word television in the home because because he was burned by it. I mean, it was his work that was being used and he didn't really uh, benefit from it. Um, He Toward the end of his life, uh, he died in 1971. Toward the end of his life, he was actually working on a different idea that we're still kind of hoping will pan out, which is using atomic fusion as a means of generating power. Mm. So he was invited to be part of the Manhattan Project, but turned it down, oh, wow. supposedly. Hmm. I mean, he definitely turned it down if he were if he were in fact invited. The invitation part is the supposedly. Um, and then we've got some information about some uh, some some wacky crazy yeah, inventions yeah. that weren't intended. Wacky crazy? Well, <laughs> one of them's silly at least. Yeah. Um. <laughs> Segway. (laughs) Speaking of, in the video we talked about how, so there were all these things where, oh, people were messing around, doing their thing, and they discovered something important. But it also goes the other way, right? They were trying to discover something important, working towards something important, and then. Yeah, and accidentally discovered something really fun. Um, One of my favorite examples is the super soaker. Mm -hmm. Um, So water gun, I I used them when I was a kid. I I thought it was great because they can spray so hard it kind of hurts. And (laughs) and what you really want to do with a gun is inflict pain. But it's hard to do that when it's a regular squirt gun unless you get them right in the eyes. Right. So Or you're (laughs) filling it with lemon juice or something. Yeah, or anything caustic. Strickland played Um, dirty as a kid. No, I didn't. I'm just saying that if you wanted to, I did not want to. Unlike Joe, I did not wish to inflict harm. Yeah. Oh, sure, yeah. Um, so you've got the, the super soaker. Where, well, where did it come from? Turns out it was invented by accident um, by a nuclear engineer named Lonnie Johnson. And this he was an engineer who had worked for NASA before. And he was trying to design a cooling pump. Mm-hmm. Um, and so w- w- the way he thought he could design this cooling pump was to use water 
to compressed water to disperse heat. Mm-hmm. And when he was testing a prototype at home, uh, he was shooting the water out of the tank and it went, pssst, you know, crazy really hard. Yeah. Stream. Yeah. And he thought, wow, that'd make a great water gun. <laughs> Boom. Yep. There's your fortune. Change, change, uh, change tracks, go from, uh, the cooling pump to the water gun market to and the he, child sadist route. He yeah. made crazy bank on that. Yeah. But we also um, mentioned like, um, there, the, there's this, uh, well, so we were talking about World War II earlier yeah, with yeah. Farnsworth. Uh, a couple of inventions came out of World War II era efforts. One was the slinky, um, which was supposed to be originally, it was a steel torsion spring. And if you can imagine this, what it was supposed to do was stabilize a naval instrument. So, if you imagine you're out on the ocean in rough weather and the ship's being tossed around a lot, if you, how do you keep your instrument stable? It absorbs right. yeah. the energy to prevent. Uh-huh. Exactly, yeah. yeah. So you'd hang it from a thing like a slinky, and then it wouldn't it wouldn't be shaken. Right. It ends up it ends up uh, counteracting, Gently undulating, yeah. Yeah. and rather than yeah. Um, but so what uh, this guy discovered was while well, he had this little prototype sitting on a table. And he knocked it off and, and just watched this beautiful arc. Arc, yeah. The way springs. it traveled was just so elegant. Discovered the slinky, the slinky, born, <laughs> and then it, uh, it fits on your back. It's great for a snack. No, that's it's log, log, log. Oh, yeah, yeah. But the same thing, really. Right. Um, <laughs> log, slinky, same thing. Another World War II era accidental invention that turned out really fun was silly putty. Uh, Which was originally supposed to be a rubber substitute. Right. In World War II, there was a rubber ration because you had to use rubber for boots, tires, all kinds Tents, of stuff. for Yeah, yeah stuff for the sort, war effort. Um, so what are you going to use for the rubber you need? Well, people were trying to come up with another way to make a, something like rubber. Yeah, synthetic rubber. Instead, what he made was a really fun toy that's cool to put, you know, in your sister's shoe or something like that. Exactly. Yeah, or if you want to... You know, pick up the the funnies uh-huh. on the uh, mm-hmm. Sunday paper. Oh yeah, yeah. Because you, you could actually pick transfer stuff. Yep. Yeah. You could pick mm-hmm. up newsprint, and then you could also make it bounce. It was yeah, it was. Yeah, the, but it was just oh, one of those got, things that accidentally happened. We got the names here. Yeah, the the slinky guy was Richard James. Yep. And the silly putty guy was James Wright. Yep. And uh, you know, the the spirit of invention, of course, goes all the way up till today. We've got you know, we mentioned. Uh, Lonnie Johnson, who invented the super soaker. Of course, he was working on one thing and came up with another. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've oh. got some great examples of modern day inventors. I mean, there, there are companies that are built on the fact that the founders were really enthusiasts who were trying out new things. Uh, Apple is a great yeah, example. Sure, especially as we get into electronics. It's, yeah. it's getting really... Yeah, if you're listening to this on a computer right now, or an iPod, or something yep. like that, you want to thank a couple of pranksters from the 1970s. Yeah, Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak. Wozniak was, of course, the really the computer whiz of the two. Jobs mm-hmm. was, he, not that he was bad at, at computers, but he was really good at the business, the business side yeah. and the marketing side. And uh, Wozniak, he, he actually... You know, he was he was known as a bit of a prankster. In fact, Mm -hmm. still is known as a bit of a prankster. But back in the day, he was um, he was one of those guys who was really interested in learning how things work and then kind of playing with them. So one of them was a telephone system. Yeah, Yeah. telephone prank. So, yeah, back in the back in the the late 60s, early 70s, really the 70s. was where it, it began to flourish. There was this uh, there was this culture called phone freaking, freaking spelled with a ph. Mm-hmm. The and, only um, way to spell it. Yeah. So <laughs> so phone freaking was all about finding ways to manipulate the telephone system, not necessarily just to make prank phone calls, although there were plenty of those being made, but also just learning that if you created certain tones on certain phone systems, for example, you could make a free phone call anywhere you wanted. You know, you you would learn what tones the system relied on, and if you could replicate those tones, then you would be able to take advantage of it. One of the famous phone freakers was known as uh, Captain Crunch, because <laughs> because he discovered that a little toy plastic whistle that came in the box of Captain Crunch created the exact tone he needed in order to manipulate one of the telephone systems. And so that that's where his nickname came from, was the fact that he discovered this. And uh, Wozniak was known as one of the guys who was really into this phone freaking thing. Like, learn, and, and it was really more about, he had this insatiable curiosity to learn how these systems worked and to kind of learn how to do things within the system that the system was not necessarily designed to do, which is the, the very... 
the very heart of hacking and and innovation and tinkering. Mm-hmm. This idea of taking something that exists and then tweaking it in a way so it does something new and unusual. Yeah. Um, and sometimes it it with amazing results. Yeah, I mean, see, people probably don't even realize that the computer you have now, you you can thank hobbyists for that. Yeah. I mean, computers came from. People who were screwing around doing something fun, right? Yeah, they were. They were oh, taking personal computers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, because the before the microcomputer, we're talking about computers that yeah. took took up entire rooms yeah. in a well, research lab. That's a really good distinction, actually. We, we are talking about personal computers uh, because yeah. because the 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 macro computers, if you want to put it that way, were all being developed by universities right. at the time. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. and government and government, um, sure, sure. But so Wozniak built the Apple One. For his computer club, you know, yeah. he was hanging out with his buddies in, I guess it was Palo Alto. Palo Alto, the right? homebrew yeah. computer club. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they would just try to impress each other by building computers. Yeah, yeah. yeah there was another uh, interesting pair of people who would visit the homebrew computer club in order to talk about a programming language they had developed, a programming language, uh, a variant of BASIC, which had been invented back in the 60s. Um, those two people were Paul Allen and Bill Gates, mm-hmm. who would go on to found Microsoft. So you even had Apple and Microsoft both coming out of this culture at the same time. Now, in one case, we're talking about invention through software as opposed to hardware, but the same spirit was there. This idea of learning how things work and then creating new things based upon those principles. And uh, we still see that today. So um, I think that's a good coverage of the the history of invention from a 10,000-mile-high like, a <laughs> perspective. Yeah, yeah. I, I do want to mention that uh, you know all of our examples are basically here in the West. That's because we live in America and we speak English, and, mm-hmm. and, and, and our research base is very Western, and, and right. a lot of our information comes from you know the U.S. Patent Office and stuff sure. like that. And they have a terrific blog if you ever want to check it out um they they mention all kinds of really cool random stuff like the patent that michael jackson got for the shoes that let him do the the smooth criminal lean all right stuff like very that. important so yeah yeah critical critical i remember seeing that video and thinking i want to be able to do that and uh two broken noses later i said i'm, I'm done i'm done <laughs> yeah it's shoes that hook into the stage yeah, yeah that i did not realize that that I'm, was an important thing to 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 learn later on Actually, it would have been more important to learn. You're you're not quite a smooth criminal yet. No. You're sort of a rough criminal. Yeah. Yeah. A rough delinquent. That's, yeah. I think delinquent is, is probably the best, best phrase to use. So, uh, yeah, there are a lot of, uh, like you were saying, Lauren, there are a lot of inventions that have come out from other parts of the world, obviously, and they have been And other famous tinkerers that are terrific, but. Yeah, there have been some fantastic examples, but, uh, yeah, we were looking at this from a Western perspective just because that's where we're from, not to suggest that that's the only perspective. Absolutely. But anyway, uh, that, that's kind of a, a roundup of just some of the, the people we were thinking of when we were talking about the spirit of invention and innovation. And uh, in our next show, we're going to start talking about some of the really fun, crazy inventions that people have come up with as uh, as part of the Maker Fair movement. And uh, I, I can't wait to talk about them because some of them are not practical at all and incredibly awesome, kind of like me. All right, so that wraps this up. Guys, if you have enjoyed this show, let us know. Send us an email. Let us know what you would like us to talk about in the future. Our email address is fwthinking at discovery.com. Go to fwthinking.com for all the videos, the blog posts, the podcasts, and uh, all the other information we've got there. We've got some really great articles linked on there that I think you'll enjoy. So go check it out and let us know what you think. And we will talk to you again really soon. For more on this topic and the future of technology, visit forwardthinking.com. Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. 
If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Hey guys, back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck yeah! And some waves, so we could go surfing. Oh, <laughs> ah, love that! A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in! Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it! Um, can a girl go shopping? Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org.